1975, as a new Christian, I owned a small business in Dallas, Texas. It was in American Indian Arts. A woman during that time filed a lawsuit against me. This is the point in time at which God rose up to give me instructions. I heard two words, don't testify. I called my lawyer and I said, I believe God has told me not to testify in this coming lawsuit. You might not want to represent me because I don't plan to testify. My lawyer said to me, oh, Joan, no, that'll be all right. He said, I know we would win the lawsuit if you testify, but I think we can win just by Flo's testimony. Flo was a woman who had been working for me at my business, and she witnessed the situation. So he said, I think we can win just by Flo's testimony. This is when things really began to happen. Totally unexpected to me, since I was simply trying to obey that instruction which I believed to be from God. Flo became very angry with me, and she said, since you're not testifying, the whole burden of this lawsuit is going to be up on me. And I said, well, what can I do? I believe I have heard from God not to testify, and I can't testify. The man I was dating at the time said, Joan, you're not doing this girl any good by not testifying. I said, but I'm not trying to do this girl any good. I'm trying to obey a word that I believe God has given me, and that's don't testify. We got to court, and the first day of the trial, the judge was sitting high up on his bench, and he had a pencil in his hand and a bunch of papers. And he looked at the papers, and he just stopped and dropped the papers and dropped the pencil and looked at me and said, you're not testifying? He couldn't believe it. The trial began and Flo testified. My lawyer came to me and said, Joan, things didn't go as well with Flo's testimony as I had hoped. So if you will testify, we will win. But if you don't testify, I don't know what's going to happen to us. I said, well, I'll see. So I got up from the courtroom and went into the ladies' room at the courthouse and began praying. I simply said, God, what do you want me to do about this lawsuit? And I heard, don't testify. I went back into the courtroom and then the lawyer was looking at the door, waiting for me. I simply shook my head no. He didn't ask me any more. The trial was a two-day trial. And I said to God during those two days, I, I hope you know what you're doing. We're going to lose this trial. We didn't lose the trial. I did not testify, and I was acquitted of all charges. 
And this was my first encounter with faith and dealing with faith. Another thing happened when I was a new Christian with my business. A man filed a lawsuit against several American Indian Arts dealers. It was so totally unfounded that when I got the papers on it, he was suing me for a million dollars. I probably had about $500 in my bank account at the time. I was a small business person. But he was suing me for a million dollars. When the papers were filed, there was a um, little short chubby man who came to my shop and asked to see me. And I noticed as I saw him approaching me that on his tie, his tie clasp was a pair of handcuffs, little tiny handcuffs. He said, little lady, do you know so-and-so? And I said, no, I don't. He said, well, he knows you. He's suing you for a million dollars. I just thought that was so absurd. This man who brought the papers handed me, me the court papers, and I took them into my office, and I just threw them over on the desk. It was just so silly. I didn't even know the man. Then about a week later, I realized that if I didn't get an attorney, there was going to be a judgment rendered against me in the U.S. courts of law, so I hired an attorney. He began filing papers in the situation, and the case drug on, and every month I would get a bill from my attorneys it was eating up all the profit from my business. And I had, two or three years prior to that, gotten out of debt because I felt God showed me to get out of debt. So I was running a debt-free operation. I didn't borrow money for merchandise. I used the money that I had sold the merchandise, took the money, and went out and bought new, bought new merchandise. So I was operating on a very thin cash basis. The lawyer's bills were just eating up the profits from my business, and I knew that if it continued that way, I would soon be back in debt. One day I was reading the Bible and the following scripture stood out to me. It's in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. I sat there and began to reason that scripture. I'm born again now. I'm a servant of the Lord. Therefore, this word applies to me. And it says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. I had a weapon formed against me. God tells me it will not prosper. 
So as I studied this scripture and thought about my predicament, I decided, based on this scripture, that I would release my attorneys and go to court without any human legal counsel. After deciding this, I went to my pastor, and I made an appointment with the pastor. I was driving to meet him at that appointment. And along the way, I was praying, God, please give pastor wisdom concerning what I'm about to do. I wanted to get confirmation. I was a very new Christian at that time. So I told the pastor the story. And I told him, because of this scripture, I did not believe this lawsuit could prosper against me. So it was my intention to dismiss the attorneys because of all the money from my business was being eaten up by the lawyer fees. To dismiss my attorney and to go to court without any human legal counsel. My pastor looked at me and said, Joan, I perceive that you have the faith to do this this way. After that, I called my attorney and explained to him that I am a Christian. And I read this scripture to him. The Bible says, no weapon that's formed against thee will prosper. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. I am now a Christian, so I'm a servant of the Lord. Therefore, this lawsuit cannot prosper against me. I'm dismissing you as my lawyer and planning to go to court without any human legal counsel because of the money. I just don't have the money to pay lawyer fees. It's eating up the profit from my business. He was shocked. He said, Joan, you can't do this. You don't realize how evil these courts are. You can't do this. And he said, besides that, we're willing to work with you. It will only take about $10,000 more to try your case. I said, $10,000, Gordon, stop. Don't do anything more. I was very frightened. It's not that I heard a word from God. It's that I saw this scripture. And it burned through me, which was God confirming it. And based on this scripture, I felt I had legal grounds spiritually to do this this way. I'm standing on a scripture which I believe God illuminated to me. So you could hear a word directly from God, as I heard with the other situation, don't testify. Or you could be reading the Bible and a scripture just kind of jumps out at you. And that is an illuminated scripture that is guiding you in the way of God in your situation. I was very frightened. As I would awaken in the mornings the lawsuit was hanging over my head 
and God would give me a verse of scripture to encourage me. And I would write that verse of scripture down and look at it throughout the day. And then there would be another scripture I would be given by God. I think it ended up about 14 scriptures. I took those scriptures and recorded them on a cassette tape on both sides. In those days, we had the cassette tapes that turned over. So I would start playing it when I went to bed at night and fall asleep to the scripture playing. And then if I woke up in the night and the recorder had quit playing, I would turn the tape over and play it again and fall asleep again to the scripture. The case drug on for another four months or so. Six days before the court date, I got a call from this man's attorney. He said, I'm calling you because you don't have an attorney. I'm telling you that our client has dropped all charges, so there will be no court case. I said, did he drop all charges against me or did he drop all charges against everyone? Because he was suing several dealers of American Indian arts. He was even suing the city of Dallas Better Business Bureau and the city of Fort Worth Better Business Bureau because he had charged us with conspiring to keep him from doing business in Dallas, in the Metroplex. He was an Indian jewelry salesman that would rent a motel room and sell his jewelry out of the motel room. His lawyer said to me, no, he cut everyone loose. It was over. About two weeks later, my lawyer came into my business and said, Joan, I want you to know, we have discussed your case at the law firm, and we have decided that what you said happened, happened because of this scripture. I wasn't trying to witness to this lawyer or a law firm. This was a big law firm, 28th floor of Bryan Towers in downtown Dallas. I wasn't trying to do anything but obey the scriptures and follow the scriptures and get out of this worldly predicament that had encircled me and to do it God's way. When you follow God, there's a ripple effect. Notice in the first law case, my own people got mad at me. I didn't expect that. And in the second case, the lawyers, unknown to me, discussed my case after it ended and decided that because of this scripture, that thing ended, that case ended. Now, we just do what God shows us and it does the work of God. Every time we believe what God says and do it, and it's really God, every time it's really God speaking to us, and we believe it and do it, it is like a person throwing a rock into a pond, and ripples go every way. You don't try to make ripples. It's an automatic thing. And there is an automatic spinoff, which touches many people usually, 
when you decide to do anything. The examples for us in the Bible are Noah and Abraham. One time I heard a preacher read this scripture, and it was in a little tiny Sunday school class of about eight people, so we had a lot of freedom in that class to talk and to respond. The pastor was in charge, and he read this scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And that pastor said, did Noah really condemn the world? I spoke up and said yes. And everybody was shocked. I don't think that pastor expected a response. I said yes, Noah condemned the world because he believed God and the world did not believe God. Therefore, by building the ark, he condemned the world. And that's the way it is any time any one of us does anything that God tells us to do. It not only can bring salvation, but it also condemns those people who do not believe God. One time Pam Paget went to her singles class at church and talked to a woman, because this woman was twice divorced, and Pam gave her scriptures concerning adultery and how it would be adultery if she remarried. I don't know the exact scriptures Pam gave this woman, but I know Romans chapter 7 says it will be adultery if the divorced woman remarries. We will stop and just look at that scripture for a moment. Romans chapter 7, start at verse 2. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. I know at some churches they would say, we don't go by the law anymore. We don't go by the law of Moses concerning the sacrifice of animals for sins, as they did in the Old Testament. But we certainly go by the laws of God as set forth for us in the New Testament Bible. This is Paul speaking to the New Testament church by the authority of God as an apostle. And it is written in the Holy Scriptures, which cause us to be wise to salvation, to understand what to do on this earth as we live here. So reading it once again in light of that, 
For the woman which has an husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So Pam gave a scripture showing adultery. There are several. She gave a scripture to this divorced woman showing her if she remarried, she would commit adultery. She also told this woman the man who married her would commit adultery. We read that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. Jesus said, And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. That's Matthew 5, 32. So not only would the woman commit adultery, but this man who's marrying her would commit adultery. After Pam shared this with this woman from her church group, this woman said, I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I believe. Pam was so shocked that a person who attended a church would not care what the Bible said. Pam also took this information to the man who was planning to marry the divorced woman and she showed him by the scriptures that Jesus said, Whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. He said, Well, I will think about this. But he did not stop the engagement. And Pam knew the woman who was going to be maid of honor in this wedding. She went to her, and she said, This wedding will be adultery if they marry. And this woman said, Well, I know that, but they will marry anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and be maid of honor. When Pam told me the story, I was reminded of a scripture which says, Be not partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. That scripture is in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. Paul says, Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. 1 Timothy 5, 22. They went ahead with this wedding at that church. It was performed by one of the pastors in the church building. Later, Pam went to church, and all the singles sat together usually, and she went to the area where the singles sat, and no one showed up. As the service continued, Pam looked around and saw those singles class sitting a few rows back. And Pam thought, well, I guess they changed the place that they sit in the auditorium. 
So the next time she went to church, she was no longer attending the singles class, but the next time she went to church, she went to the new area where the singles sat, and they sat in the old area. The third time she went to church, they were already seated, and Pam went in and sat down at the row beside them. Without a word, every one of them got up and moved to another location away from Pam. Pam cried out to God, What is going on? What has happened? Did I do something wrong? A few weeks later, a woman came to Pam and said, I have a message for you. God wants you to know what happened about the singles. You spoke to them, and that's what I wanted you to do. And Pam was so relieved that she hadn't done something wrong. We can't believe they don't love the scriptures at church. I've had it happen so many times. And it's shocking when the church people don't care about scripture. But what this is is Antichrist in the churches, because in the last days, Apostasy comes into the churches and they fall away from Scripture, from certain Scriptures. And that lets Antichrist into the churches. Now, the first thing to say is there are many Antichrists. It's not just one Antichrist, as for decades church people have thought. In the days of Napoleon, the Russians who were being attacked by Napoleon, thought Antichrist was Napoleon. I'm sure during World War II, some church people would have thought Hitler was the Antichrist. But Paul explains to us that Antichrist sits in the churches, showing himself that he is God. And John explains to us that in the day of their church, after the crucifixion of Christ and after the resurrection, John says there were already many antichrists. So these two passages of Scripture are very important for us in correcting our thinking. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18-19. The Apostle John is speaking to his church group shortly after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And John says, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now this was John's church. They would have had correct doctrine of Christ. And these Antichrist people were just sitting here waiting to take over. But when they saw they couldn't take over, they left. We have another example of this kind of thing in Acts 20 because they were just waiting for Paul to leave 
so that they could bring in perverse doctrines, and he knew that. He had called together the elders of the church at Ephesus and was talking to them. And in Acts 20, we read the following. Verses 29 and 30. Paul says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul tells us about the apostasy in the churches that has to come before Jesus returns. Start at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This would come into the churches. And he said it's a falling away. In 1982, I was reading this scripture, and God spoke to me about it and said, the falling away are not individuals leaving the church. The falling away that Paul is speaking of are the churches falling away from scriptures. And when they do that, it allows Antichrist to come in and take over in that church group. It is in the churches, not in the governments of men. It's in the churches because it says, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth where? In the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. It's apostasy in the churches, the end-time apostasy in the churches. In the NASB Bible, they even use the word apostasy, showing in the churches. Back to the subject of Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God sees the same thing about this today. How do we know that? Because Jesus said at the end of the world it would be like the days of Noah. They would be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the flood came and took them all away. It would be like that. So let's look at this again. Genesis 6 verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. 
And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping things, and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. So God made a way of escape for Noah and his family. Verse 11 says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. I always think about this when I see the television news and see all these protests and the violence and the looting of stores and the murders and robberies and knifings of people and the shootings that go on and the corrupt policemen and the corrupt protesters, both sides corrupt, the violence in the heart of man. And Jesus said that it would be like that in the end times as it was in the days of Noah. So the violence should not surprise us. The earth also was corrupt before the Lord, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way. I believe that means the way of God upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. God's going to make a way of escape for Noah. Before God destroys the heaven and earth, those elect of God who are living on this earth will be removed from this earth and taken to the new heaven and the new earth. We read that in Matthew 24. Jesus says in Matthew 24, starting at verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation, of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Now why would they mourn? Because they're doing all these wicked things. We know that by what we see on television. They're doing all these wicked things against God. So they will mourn when they see Jesus coming. For they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he, Jesus, shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So before God destroys his present heaven and earth, the elect of God will be removed. It's not that the apostate churches will be removed. 
the elect of God will be removed. The apostate churches will be destroyed by Jesus at his coming. We read that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Please turn to that with me. Verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And in this section of scripture, Jesus is talking about the Antichrist in the churches. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They loved their churches more than they loved the scripture. So they departed from the scripture and set up another doctrine and cast aside certain portions of scripture. If they had loved the scripture, they would have clung to the scripture and been saved. But they didn't love the scripture. They loved some of the scriptures maybe, but not all of the scriptures. So they went along with the apostasy in that church group at the end time. Verse 10 and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And God said to me once, they love their churches, but they don't love the Word of God. They love their buildings, their church buildings. They love the stained glass. They love the choirs. They love their preachers. They love the woodworks and the carvings. But they don't have a love for the Word of God, the Scriptures. They love the appearance of godliness. They look godly to other people because they attend church. They look godly to themselves because they attend church. But they don't have that inner love for the word of God, such as whosoever marrieth her that is divorced committeth adultery. They don't have the love for that. Therefore, they explain that away and reason it away and marry divorced women and approve other men who are marrying divorced women, and they cast aside the word of God. That is the apostate church. Jesus is coming for the elect of God to take them into the new heaven and the new earth, which has been prepared by God for the elect of God. Thank you for allowing me to share this with you today.